Good evening, church. Reading this evening is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Ephesians chapter 2, reading from verse 11. Therefore, remember, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. It is a joy to um, gather together, as the guys set up um, the board, just to remind you that, um, or to, if you are new to our church, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, and one of the key themes that we see there in the book is this theme of belonging, of God bringing a people from the outside into the inside. So we're continuing with that series, um, so we're glad that you are able to uh, to join us uh, this evening. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that God will help us uh, as we get into his word. Let me see you guys. I see you. Let me just move here. Yeah, so please bow your heads as I lead us in a time of prayer. And as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word, what a lovely song uh, we sang about hearing God's word. Let, let us hear God's word. That was our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that we would sing songs like this um, and plead with you uh, that, oh God, uh, that we would hear your word, uh, that in our youth it would renew us um, and that we would be grounded and led by you through this, the power of your word. Lord, I pray that we would taste something of your goodness this evening as we hear the message of your gospel of King Jesus proclaimed once again this evening, and we pray this in his name and for our good. Amen. Um, the one thing that I found very interesting, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, um, is that everywhere in life, everywhere in society, uh, building a house takes time. Uh, so apart from Midland, uh, building a house takes time. So if you uh, go back to where I grew up, uh, to, build, uh, to build a house, you take time. It takes time to, uh, to build. It normally starts off with somebody purchasing a block of bricks, and then they put them outside uh, the yard uh, and hoping that nobody steals them. Uh, and so that process takes about two years. In those two years, they save up to buy the cement uh, and uh, the, the sand. And then the foundation breaks at about uh, year three, and then in year three, the building commences. And if you think the building is going to be finished in that year, uh, wait till you hear this. No, it's a couple of more years. They'll build it up until the, uh, just to hold the, the windows and then put beams to support those windows. And a couple of years passes, they build up enough money to uh, build it all the way to the top and then save up to build the roof. And once the roof is complete, the house is finished. Uh, the house is finished, but it's not furnished yet, right? Uh, but when the house is finished, you move in into the house. 
uh, you use blankets to cover the windows, and life goes on. Uh, on and on, uh, the building continues. We will tile that bad boy one room at a time. Uh, so you start off with the kitchen, and then you go where everyone can see, and then you go off into, into the rooms. But it takes time to build. In the process of building also, obviously, you have your lay-by with Ellerins, and they're going to uh, upgrade your life uh, like midland guys uh, from a camp chair, uh, from a crate of SAB uh, beer, uh, to proper furniture. It takes time to build that house. Uh, that whole process can take about 15 years, which means a child can start school and then finish undergraduate uh, and see a whole process of building. Unlike Midrand, it takes time to build. And this is not just Midrand, right? Uh, I've lived and traveled into Africa. I went to DRC in 2015, and one of the things that intrigued me was the number of buildings uh, that were being built up. Uh, they had these supporting beams across the city. And I was thinking to myself, wow, this is such a growing city. Everybody's building. Until someone explained to me that it takes time to build. Uh, so what would happen is in Bukavu, you need cold hard cash. And I mean lots of it uh, to build a house. And once you have that money, as with any building, you under budget. And then on the project goes uh, maybe 60% into it, the money is finished, and then the building stops. It takes time to build. It's not just South Africa. It's not just the DRC. If you travel to Mozambique, uh, you see a lot of houses that are either incomplete or they have bare walls because they couldn't afford to, uh, to plaster. It takes time to build. In fact, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who is from Zim, who's building a, a mansion. Uh, he stays in our complex. Uh, he's building a house in one of the fancy estates here in Midland. Uh, and he's almost 90% complete with the project. And he kind of joked around and said, hey, Mdara, if this was Zim, uh, we would be moving in right now because the house is complete. But according to strict Midland estate law, you cannot move in until the house is properly finished. Uh, but what this guy understands, what many people understand who don't, who, who don't live in Midrand, is that it takes time to build. If you live in Midrand, obviously, we have credit facilities. Um, those guys build a house. You know, they, it's almost like a complex can come up in three weeks' time. You blink, and then, boom, there's a complex there. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of time to build here. In Midrand, we depend on uh, credit facilities to move into houses that are finished, uh, but what other people know uh, that Midland people don't know is that it takes time to build. If you lived in ancient world, um, if you lived in the time of Solomon, you'd know that this guy had all the raw material that he needed, yet it still took him seven years to build the temple. It takes time to build. Um, brick by brick, moment by moment, say it with me, it takes time to build. It takes time to build. Now, you're probably wondering, what is this guy on about? Um, what is this building stuff that he's referring to? Here's why it's important for us to grasp that as uh, midland people who live in a fast-paced society who can just build a house like that, that it takes time to build. And this principle applies to the Christian faith uh, because the more you live the Christian phrase, faith, uh, the difference, that the, you understanding this principle is such a big difference. It makes such a big difference to whether you give up when you are struggling in your faith or whether you pick yourself up and continue in the race. It makes a massive difference for you, for me, for us to understand that the Christian life is a slow process of God building us up. And I don't think it's a mistake that Paul uses this language as he describes the Christian life. Have a look at verse 22 with me as Paul describes the Christian life as a life that has been built up. Check out verse chapter 2, verse 22. Paul has been arguing throughout uh, that we belong to God not because of anything that we have done, 
but because of all that God has done. So right now, we belong to him in Christ. And verse 22, he goes on to say, In him, that is in Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What Paul understood, what the ancients understood, what he wants to bring to us this evening is that the Christian life takes time to build. It is God's project of building us up uh, from the ground up, and it will take time uh, to, to build. Uh, what he says here is quite interesting. What he says here is quite mind-blowing if we think about it. Uh, he says, in him, in Jesus, we are being built together. So God is uh, embarking on this building project. But here's the crazy and unbelievable part of it. He says that you are, built, you are being built into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're going to unpack what that means, but that is something crazy, uh, something mind-boggling, something awesome uh, of the Christian message that God is shaping these people who used to be on the outside, who are now on the inside. He's building them up uh, to be better people. He's building them up to be who he wants them to be. What Paul is saying, let me just summarize it in case you are going to miss it, is that what God is doing through the church, through these people who now belong, is that he's giving the world a taste of heaven through them. Can you wrap your mind around that? As you look around this room, as you think about the church globally, as you think about your local church that you've been involved in, that this is the best picture. This is a taste of what God is doing in this world. And what is God doing in this world? Well, he's building a dwelling place for himself, meaning that people, when they look at us, uh, they can see God through us. They can see a small taste of heaven breaking in into um, Iran, breaking in into Norveg, breaking in into Carswell, breaking in into Vona Valley. And we're going to see the details of what that looks like before you think I'm trying to be a motivational speaker. I'm not. Uh, God is building. As you look to your left, as you look to your right, the person sitting next to you is a building project. And it takes time for God to build them. But in the meantime, as he builds them, uh, Paul reminds us uh, that God is building for himself through the church, through a collection of individuals, a dwelling place for himself. That when God, when people look at the church, uh, they will see a picture of heaven through them. Uh, we're going to unpack that, but for now, have a look at how Paul says this and unpacks this in verses 19 to 22. And as, we, as I read through it, notice the language of both belonging and the language of being built, okay? So then you, that is the Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and alien Gentiles. We, by that, we simply mean people who are un, non-Jews. Paul says to them, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You, you belong, you belong to God's family, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay, so God from that verse, we can pick up that he's building a household for himself. He's building a family for himself. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What does that mean? Uh, it means that this family that God is gathering for himself is built upon the message of the apostles and prophets. What is the message of the apostles and prophets? Well, it is that Jesus died a death of a sinner, a death that he did not deserve, on a cross, that on the third day, as we remembered in Easter, he was raised again to life. And because of that, God has set him as king and as Lord over all of creation. That is the message of the apostles. That is the foundation of this building. And if you trust this message, Paul says in chapter 1 that you also are included when you hear this message of salvation. Um, We've build, been built together with the apostles as the foundation. And then he says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? A cornerstone is a very important stone 
uh, that the builders in the ancient world used to use uh, to be, as Paul goes on to explain, the most fundamental structure that keeps the whole building together. So this building that God is building is kept together by Christ Jesus himself. Uh, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom, uh, that is this Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows. Again, we may not see that. It sounds like organic plant language, but it's actually building language uh, that this building grows to be a holy temple in the Lord. We're going to unpack what that means because to our ears now, we cannot fully fathom what God is saying to them, uh, but we're going to see how this idea of temple is at the very heart of what God is doing in our world. Have a look at verse 22. Another uh, building, another belonging in him. That means Christians belong in Christ. You are also being built together into a dwelling place for God for God by the Spirit. Uh, so Paul outlines for us chapter 1 up until now what it means for us to belong. He now goes on to explain the reason why we belong. We belong so that we will be built together into this magnificent temple of God. Let me read again this, um, this section of Scripture in a more loose translation, um, what we wouldn't uh, necessarily encourage you to read. We encourage you to read uh, the ESV um, because it's much more closer, it captures the meaning, but uh, the translation, or rather the paraphrase that's called the message, very often helps us to simply explain or to use everyday language to explain the wonders of um, what God is doing. Listen to how the message uh, paraphrase says uh, this, uh, this section, verse 19 to 22. It says, you, you are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith, uh, that is this Christian uh, faith, is now your home country. You are no longer strangers and outsiders. You belong here. Someone say, you belong. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Just think about that for a minute, that you have the same right that a Jew would have had to be called a child of God because of what Christ has done. With as much right uh, to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. He's using us all, referring to Christian, irrespective of how we got here, that is either Jew or Gentile, uh, in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophet for the foundation. He's using you fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple being built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quiet at home. God is building a temple for himself. A temple is a taste, as we're going to see later on, of heaven breaking in into our space. Uh, I'm going to unpack that later. But this temple, for him to build it, it takes time. As someone says, say, it takes time to build. It takes time to build. Uh, now, I think very often as we step into church, the reason why you need to hear this is because the reality of the Christian faith, the reality of your Christian life, does not often match with what God says of you. Uh, if God says of you that you are a taste of heaven, uh, I'm sure you look at your life and say, really, <laughs> my own life? Uh, I'm battling and struggling. I'm battling and struggling just to keep it together. Uh, and Paul, that is why Paul says twice in this section, remember, remember. Because very often we forget. Very often the reality of who God says we are does not match up with the reality of our lives. Twice have a look in verse 11. At the start he says, therefore, remember. Again in verse 12 he says, remember. You need to remember uh, what God is doing. You need to remember something magnificent about the message of the gospel. So we're going to spend our time this evening remembering remembering what God has done. The temptation is going to be to think, man, i got to try harder to remember this gospel story. 
resist the temptation uh, tonight for the first three chapters of Ephesians. Paul drills home this idea that it's not dependent on you. Uh, You need to remember, and two pictures that he's going to paint for us this evening, the one picture that we are to remember is who we were before. The other picture that we're going to to remember or to call to mind, uh, to put at the forefront of our minds, is who we are. So who we were, because very often, if we don't look back at who we were, we don't appreciate who we are in the present. So he wants us to remember uh, so that we see uh, this building project that God is embarking on. So two pictures we're going to see. Uh, the first one is verses 11 and 12. Remember who you were before. And this structure is similar to the one uh, from two weeks back. Uh, remember the one from two weeks back? It was you were dead, now you are alive. You did not have a relationship with God. Now you have a relationship with God. We're going to see the before, verses 12, 11 and 12, and then the after, verses 13 and 22. Let's have a look at the first picture of who we were outside of a relationship with God. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If I were to summarize what Paul is saying in uh, those two verses, is that there was a time you did not belong. Uh, there was a time you were outside of God's promises. There was a time you didn't belong to God because you didn't belong to the people of God. And he mentions five things here, five markers of us not belonging. Number one, no circumcision. Number two, no Messiah. There is no Christ, no king over your life. Number three, no citizenship of Israel. Therefore, no hope and no God in your life. Uh, no circumcision. What does that mean for us living in the ancient world? Well, circumcision was a marker that if you are a man, uh, you were circumcised, it was a marker to say you belong in this family. You are part of God's people. It was an outward sign that proved that God had done something inwardly in you to transform your heart to become a Jew. And Paul says that there was a time when you Gentiles that is you and I, that is those ancient Ephesians as they were listening to this message, there was a time that they did not belong to God's people. There was a time that they were separated from the king of God's kingdom. There was a time that you and I used to live according to your desires. They were the things that ruled us. Paul says, do you remember that? Do you remember how your life was? Do you remember the time when they invited you to church and you didn't want anything to do with church? In fact, if anybody invited you to church, you would have given them the middle finger and told them where to get off. off. That is who you were. Uh, That is a picture of who you were. You were separated from the Messiah. Therefore, you had no hope in this world. You were just living in jail, as they would say in the street. Uh, You were living without any hope uh, in, in this world. Uh, Paul says you were godless and hopeless. That is who you were before Jesus. Now, that is a gruesome picture of humanity, uh, that outside of a relationship with God, this is who we are. Not only do we not belong, but we are both godless and hopeless. An old English pastor by the name of John Stott described godlessness in such a way He says that scripture is quite clear that the essence of sin is godlessness. He says godlessness is the attempt to get rid of God. And since that is impossible, the determination to live as though one has succeeded in doing so. Godlessness is the desire to get rid of God. And because we know that this is an impossible task, we live our lives as though we had succeeded in getting rid of God in our lives. I wonder if you remember that time 
if you've crossed the line of faith, uh, that time when you are godless, that time when you are determined to live as though God does not exist. At that time, you were unwilling to hear. Maybe you went to church and you were unwilling to hear the fact that you are actually not right with God, the fact that you are a sinner apart from God's grace. I wonder if you remember that time. That was the before, now the after. Have a look at verse 13. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, now we see this picture and this idea of Gentiles, non-Jew, who are far from God, who are now brought into a relationship with God. And throughout this text, you see uh, this weird idea of being far off from God and being near, coming up um, time and time again. And then after verse 13, Paul goes on to explain that these people who were once far off from God now belong to the temple, now belong as, as a display of God's dwelling among them. Now, because we live in 2023, Midrand, whenever we hear temple, we have so many things that come to our mind. I just want to uh, kind of take you through a short history of the temple in picture format. When we speak of the temple in Israel, we're speaking about a place where God meets his people. We're speaking about a place where the heavens, that is God's space, intertwines and overlaps with the, the world in which we live in. The temple is a place where God, the God of the heaven, the one who is unseen, is, uh, has, can be accessed. Uh, the temple is a place a physical place uh, in which this used uh, to happen. But this idea of temple, you see it right across Scripture, and we're going to see it uh, just now. So it starts off in a place called Eden, in the Beninging. Uh, in the Beninging, there was Eden. I learned this method from an old uh, preacher, uh, who is among us, he used to say that his sermons are fire when he uses the, the cocky because he sniffs uh, the cocky. So here we go. Uh, this evening, say fire. <laughs> um, so this is the picture, and we're going to start off um, with the beginning. We're going to start off with Genesis. Genesis is the story of how God begins to relate to his people. I wonder if you guys can see that. So in the beginning, God uh, creates, and we are told that he creates uh, the heavens and the earth. And we are told that he creates this place uh, called Eden. Uh, and in Eden, there was a garden, uh, the Garden of Eden. So we'll call this place Eden. And theologians have figured out and have seen that throughout the narrative of Genesis, throughout the story of Genesis, what you see is pictures of God's space, that is the heavens, overlapping with our space. Uh, so right here you have God's space uh, that is filled with all sorts of good things, uh, that is filled with order, uh, that is filled with his glory and his rule. Uh, that is God's space. And what we see is that God creates another space, which is the world. Um, so this is the world. And one of the things that we hear over and over again is that this world was uninhabitable. It was a world filled with chaos, yet God decided to make a dwelling place uh, for himself. Uh, so he chose two people, uh, that is Adam, the guy, and Eve. And they were to dwell in the Garden of Eden. And every time you read uh, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, you'll hear the language of Eden being the place where the life of God, the order of this world, uh, comes into this world. So God calls these two people to come be priests and rulers uh, together with him in this world. Eden is a picture 
of God's household. Eden is a picture of God making his dwelling among his people. The key word that we can use there is the word access. People have access to God, and because of that access, they get to experience the life of this world, breaking in here, and they were meant to gradually bring order into this world. So they were meant to take this life of Eden into the world that was filled with chaos and what that was uninhabitable uh, for humans. Uh, so that's where the story begins. Uh, the story ends off in chapter 3 of Genesis with mankind saying to themselves, God, thank you very much for this partnership. We are going to take over from here, chief. Um, and they rebelled against him. And because of this rebellion, we see God kicking them out of Eden, out of Eden. And he creates a barrier for them uh, of a sword and the cherubim that stops them from gaining access back to the space, that stops them from gaining access to the tree of life, to the very fountain of true life. So that is the first picture that we see. The second picture that we see in the ancient world is the picture of temple. And if you were to again read about the temple, you'll see that the temple has very garden-like imagery. The temple has a picture. It's a picture of Eden. So a temple is a small picture of what God was doing in this world. The temple is built in Jerusalem, and the temple is built on a mountain, and this mountain, as the ancient, ancient people thought, it was the place where the gods uh, would dwell. So the God of Israel, Solomon builds a temple, and this, we see, is a place where him and his people can have communion. But there's something different about this temple. Um, the temple of the ancient gods used to have idols in them, but this temple had none. Uh, remember in Genesis, the only image that God placed in this world is the image of you and I. So we were meant to be the representatives of this life, uh, breaking in in this space, back into this world filled with chaos. So what we see in Israel is that uh, Solomon builds this temple. This is the space where God's space and our space interact. Our space that is filled with sin interacts with God's goodness, God's holiness. And the way for sinful human beings who said no to God, the way for them to relate to this God we see is through animal sacrifice. Now, I'm not very good at Pictionary, but this is an upside-down bull uh, that represents a blood, or rather a life that is taken to remind the Israelites that for you, for any ordinary human to have a relationship with God, somebody's got to die. And in this case, animals were being slaughtered day in and day out to remind these guys that they cannot access the Holy God. But this was just a picture of greater things uh, to come. When you get to the New Testament, we hear Jesus saying these words, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it. Um, Jesus calls himself the very presence of God among us. Uh, Jesus is the one who brings about God's space in the heavens and our space right here in this world. Uh, Jesus, as he comes, he heals people. He brings the life of heaven into this world. But what happens is that he dies on the cross. Um, he dies the death that those bulls uh, used to die. Now, I'm going to draw that bull again. It's upside down. But this time around, for us to access God's presence, for us to access the goodness of God, is through the sacrifice that Jesus would make. So Old Testament, blood had to be spilled, but um, the Bible teaches us that the blood of um, animals was never enough uh, to bring us into access with God. But in the New Testament, we see that the blood of Christ is the very thing that opens up access to the God 
of the universe. Therefore, you and I can have a relationship with God because of what Christ has done. If I wasn't writing here, I would say shout amen, because that is the picture of the gospel message. And that is the picture of God and his people. God building his temple through his people that we see in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. The last picture that we see quickly is the picture of God finally in Revelation 21 bringing this life of heaven down here into our world. In Revelation 21, John sees a picture of God, the holy city of Jerusalem, the holy temple, coming down into our world, and God finally fully making his dwelling among his people, uh, fully bringing the goodness of this space into our world. Uh, So there is a brief history of the temple. Now let me just go back into another diagram to explain the logistics of the temple, uh, what used to happen in the temple, how the temple was structured, and why it's important for us as we get into Ephesians chapter 2 to understand the magnitude of what Paul is saying to these guys who were believers. So in the temple that is in the mountain in Jerusalem, it was structured in such a way as to again remind people that you cannot just have communion with God. It was reserved for a few. It was like that table at coffee that you have to pay lots of money to come into. In the middle of it was the Holy of Holies. And this is a place where the priest would once a year go into, but he couldn't go into it just Jay, he needed to uh, atone for his own sins by sacrificing an animal. So once a year, uh, the people of God would gain access into the presence of God through that animal sacrifice. Then, as you move further away from this exclusive place, uh, you had what they called the holy place, and this is where only priests could bring up their offerings. Uh, before God. This was a place that was not open to the rest of uh, the people. Then outside of that building, that is the temple, was another place uh, which was called the priest's courts. And this is where sacrifices used to happen. This is where animals were slaughtered day in and day out. Again, to remind you that to gain access into the presence of God, you cannot just do it without uh, the death of an animal. Now, outside of that, outside of the priest, you had the gents' courts, where men were allowed. The men of Israelites, the men who were circumcised, who had pledged their allegiance to the covenant of God, who belonged to God's people and to God. They could access this place and to bring their sacrifices to the priests who do it on their behalf to enter the holy place. But not just any priest could enter the most holy place. It needed to be a high priest and it needed to be one year. Again, the picture that we see of being far away from God. Um, Outside of the men's court was access to all Israelites, that is, the women. That was the structure of the temple. Now, outside this court, there was a wall. Okay, folks, we're going to build a wall. Um, So before Trump was building walls to exclude people, Jews were um, building walls to exclude uh, people. And outside those walls was what we called the Gentiles' quarters. That means you and I, if we were to visit Israel at that stage, we could not access this place. We couldn't access the man's place, if you are a man, uh, because you are considered unclean, you are considered as someone who does not belong. Uh, but not only that, even if you are somebody who was of Israel descent, the law dictated that sin had to be paid for. The law dictated that every man 
declared every man to be a sinner and therefore unable to enter the presence of God. Now, outside this place, you see a Gentile's court. Outside this place, you see you and I. And I took all that effort to just make you realize just how magnificent what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 is. Let's have a look at it quickly, because now, and again, the key word is access. Notice how we now can gain access into the presence of God. Notice how we can now belong, and not only that, but now God would make this inaccessible place dwell among us. God would make himself accessible through the church, through Gentiles who were once far off, who have now been made near. Have a look at verse 14. For he himself, that is Christ, is our peace. Uh, Christ brings us peace with God, but not only that, he brings us peace with one another, who made us both one. So Christ took the Gentiles and the Jews, made them into one new humanity, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Many commentators say that what Paul is talking about is metaphorically this wall, uh, that Christ has broken it down so that both Jews and Gentiles can have access to the same God and the same Father. And I think that's very plausible. Um, by, abolishing in, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so make him peace. Verse 16 and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Um, God used to bring people into his presence through the sacrifice of goats and bulls, but now, finally, he's come to do it. Uh, he's come to reconcile people who had broken the law of God, who deserved to be outside the presence of God through the death of Jesus on the cross. The death of Jesus on the cross gives you and gives me access to God. Amen. It gives us access to this God that we can say that I believe that I'm a child of God, whether I've sinned or not, because of all that Christ has done. Paul wants them to remember the before and the now. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both of us uh, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, the hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. He reminds them that both of you have access in the same way, both of you have the same access to the Father. Have a look at verse 16. And he, came to, and he came and preached peace to you who were once far off and peace to those who are near. Verse 18, for through him we both have access. Someone say access. In one spirit to the Father. In other words, the Father can embrace us. God, we can call him Father. We can approach him, this God who has unapproachable. We can now approach him because of what Christ has done. But why is that important for us to know? Well, because God wants us to remember that that process that he started in Eden of bringing the goodness of heaven into the here and now, that process continues through the church. Uh, that process continues through people who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who recognize that they cannot access God apart from that. And God wants to use them uh, to bring about the life of heaven, uh, to bring about the taste of a new world in the here and now. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but now fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God being built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, Christ himself being the cornerstone, so the old temple is no more. The new temple is here. What is the new temple? It is the temple that is based on the teachings that Jesus is Lord. Who taught that? Well, it's the apostles. They laid the foundation. Who's at the center of that foundation? Christ is at the center of that foundation. Through him, all things hold together. Through him, the church holds together. Through him, people who are sinners hold together. People who have lived a wretched life this past week who are coming in thinking to themselves, man, I wonder if I truly belong in that space. Well, God reminds us that we belong and God is building us uh, together into this holy 
temple. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is this place and a place. Uh, the church that, in, that is not a building, but that comprises of individuals. Individuals who put their faith in Jesus is now the place where God meets his people. It's now the place where God shines and spreads his goodness into this world. Now, I just want to end off with a few stories um, as we think about that, because it sounds very idealistic. Uh, but throughout my time uh, in ministry, throughout my time being a Christian, I've seen and tasted this goodness of the new world, this goodness of heaven breaking in in the here and now, as Christians live out their lives in this world. Uh, every time a, a Christian says no to sin, every time a Christian says no to being living life as this world lives, every time a Christian says no to living selfishly, we get a taste of the new world, the taste of heaven in the here and now. As I say that, I remember, I recall to mind stories of many different people. The one story that I recall to mind is a story of one of our previous students. Um, he, he did his apprenticeship here after he graduated. Uh, uh, he was part of our, our student ministry. He then went on to, to teach. Uh, he loved Jesus. Um, after his apprenticeship here, he went on to teach. He chose a school that is called Nokopila. Now, for, you, for those of you who don't know Nokopila, it is a school that almost looks like this, that's built for children who don't have anything, uh, who are coming in receiving quality education. He went to teach them. Uh, what inspired me is that he used his own money to learn robotics. Not only that, but he learned it so that he can teach it at the school. Now, what is phenomenal is that those kids can now do robotics. In a society and a culture where teachers, you have a mixed batch of them, uh, some of them are just there for the gig, um, this is the breaking in of the kingdom of God, where somebody says, I'm taking the extra mile, I'm going to learn robotics so that I can uh, leave this world a better place. And I think South Africa will be better off because that man took that decision. Many kids who go to the school will be better off because of that decision uh, that he took. Another story is a story of two ladies who came and joined us a, a few years back. Uh, two ladies from England. Uh, they came to serve again at Nokopila. But what inspired me about their story is how they, one of them was sharing, and this is for the first time when I heard somebody saying that from as young as I can remember, I've always had homosexual feelings. I've always felt like I'm attracted to women instead of, uh, instead of men. But I met Jesus, and Jesus is king over my life. And man, this, this journey is tough. Man, this building that he's doing in me will take time. But one of the things that I've come to realize is that I might just live a life of singleness throughout my life. Uh, because unless God changes me to desire men, I know that this is an ungodly thing, and I'm not going to pursue this. I don't know where she is now, that lady, but I thank God for her because in that very moment, this was the breaking in of the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. Amen. As somebody resists the presence of sin and resists the presence of this world uh, to choose a life of Jesus as king, uh, this is the life of heaven uh, in the here and now. Another story is that of an old man. In our church, again, uh, this old man is uh, HR. He, he was uh, in HR, and he retells a story of a time a young lady came to him and said, Baba, excuse my Zulu. I can do A in Kizi. You can't speak to Anna here. Yeah? <laughs> uh, oh, were you, were you shocked by what, he, what she said? Okay. Um, she said, I'll do just about anything to learn a job. Uh, and that is a sad story and a sad reality of the country that we live in. 
But this man who had known Jesus for many moons uh, responded in such a way uh, that this lady's life uh, was changed. In a world where men use and wield power for the sake of themselves, uh, this man said, my child, you don't have to do anything. I will give you this job. This is the breaking in of the life of the kingdom in the here and now. The church is a taste of that, isn't it? It is a taste of God's goodness extended into our world. Those stories give me goosebumps, and I can tell stories upon stories of one other couple who came into this church, not as believers, came in to hear the story of Christian, the Christian faith, became Christian, were in a fat and sad situation. I think there was a preaching series on sex, they came to realize that they were living in sin, and they repented, moved out of one, one of the couple, one of the, them moved out of the house, and they, the church organized, gathered together to organize a wedding. Now, that's to say, if you need that facility, I do marriage signing for free. Come chat to me. Amen. Amen. That's another sermon for another day. But this was the breaking in of the kingdom of God in the here and now, another lady wanted a tennis court to be built, but I still remember when we were running our chapter 3, we were pledging uh, money to the kingdom of God to be built. And she said, instead of having a tennis court in my house, we're going to pledge more money uh, to chapter 3. There was a picture in a world where it's all about getting, getting. This was a picture of the breaking in of the kingdom of God. Amen. This is more stories, more stories. <laughs> One story, whenever somebody comes to me after the service and says, how can I serve? How can I get involved here? In a world that is all about consuming, that is the breaking in of the kingdom of God in the here and now. Uh, one people who's sitting here this evening uh, came, came once to me and said, hey, I've been taught all my life that you got to give money to God uh, when you start working. They said, I got a side hustle and it's bringing money. Which account do I use to, to give? And I was like, what? <laughs> Normally you have to ask people to give, uh, but this is somebody who was asking to give because they bought in into the vision of what God is doing. This was the breaking in of the kingdom of God in the here and now. This was a taste and a picture of what it means when God's people belong, and not only belong, but are being built together as God's dwelling place. While we're being built, we are built so as to go into this world and to bring about God's goodness in this broken world. Amen and amen. Let me pray for God to, you know, to help us do that. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this, your word. And we do pray, Lord, uh, that this word would remain in our hearts and in our minds as we step into this week. We pray that you may reshape our lives with this message. That we, have, we would have this deep sense of belonging in you. Uh, that we would have this deep sense that we are part of your family. That the reality of our sin will go to the back foot. And the reality of who you are and what you have made us to be, I would overshadow that. So I pray that as we step into this week, we would see ourselves in the way that you see us, as people who are bought with the prize, as people who have access to the Father, as people who are being built daily. And we know that it's going to take time, Lord. So I pray that we would have patience in moments when we fail to remember you and to remember who you've called us to be, and that we may get up once again and to do this Christian life once more this coming week through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.